All right, y'all go ahead and have a seat. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the back table. Those blue books, we're going to use them tonight. We're going to use them every Wednesday night where we get together. Break something? Okay, as long as that wasn't me, I'm good to go. All right, so can y'all guess what book we're stepping into tonight? Daniel, that's right. So, while you open up to the book of Daniel, tell me what you know about the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, not the person. Eli, what do you know about the book of Daniel? Okay, it's the book of Daniel, and it's got the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Okay. All right, who knows something? Who else knows something about the book of Daniel? <coughs> Nobody? I'm, I'm hesitant to call on you, Nathan Cannell. What do you know? Okay, you're right. So the lion's den is in there. Okay, that's a great job restating exactly what Eli just said. Thank you for doing that. All right, anybody else besides this, the book of Daniel, and there's something about lions, anything else? Say that again. So he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to get into those guys while we're in this book. Rachel? Say it again. There, there's a lot of things that are encouraging that are in that book. Absolutely. Okay. Anything else? All right. What's that? Yeah, there's prophecy. This is, this is one of the few books in Scripture where it's not just one type of book. You know, when, when you guys read books, there's different genres. You read fiction and you read um, um, biographies and all of these different things, poetry, all of this other stuff. Well, the Bible has some of that same stuff in it as well. It's broken out into different genres. And typically, a lot of the Old Testament books, especially at the beginning, those are more narrative. Those are just kind of storytelling of things that actually happen in history. But the book of Daniel is actually split in two. The first six chapters of Daniel our narrative. It's, it's what happened to Daniel and what happened to the nation of Israel and what happened while they were in Babylon. But the last six chapters are actual prophecy of where God gave Daniel visions and, and different things that were going to come to pass. So we're going to kind of walk through all of that. It's going to take us a little while to get through this book. In fact, tonight, we're just going to do an introduction. I just want you to understand what's going on at the very beginning of this chapter. So tonight, we're actually only going to walk through two verses. Because I want to give you some background. So before we get into that, I want to ask you some of the questions that I normally ask you. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Yeah, that's right. You got it right. It's not Paul. It's Old Testament. Paul wasn't around then. The guy that wrote the book of Daniel, it is credited to Daniel. And see, my iPad keeps kicking my notes out here. So we're going to go old school with a paper copy. So it kicks it out on that. And we've got Daniel. Daniel's the one that wrote it. Now, here's a question that I don't normally ask you. Okay. But it's important in this one. Does anybody know what language this book was written in? What's that? Jewish? Okay. Well, Jewish is not a language, but that's a good guess. But you're on the right track. Somebody said it. Hebrew. Okay. So, it is written in Hebrew. In fact, a lot of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But there's a couple of books in there that were not written in Hebrew, or let me rephrase that. There's a couple books where you see a language besides Hebrew. Does anybody know what that language is? 
What's that? Aramaic. Anybody know Aramaic? Has anybody ever heard of Aramaic before? It's a Middle Eastern language. And it's, it's one, at this time, it's one that was not typically used to write Scripture. The book of, or the language of Hebrew is what was typically used to write the Old Testament. But you actually see in the original text, part of the book of Daniel was written in Aramaic. And the only places you see Aramaic show up in the Old Testament is in the book of Daniel and in the book of Ezra. And that's one of the reasons it's credited that Daniel would have been the one that written this, had written this book because it's believed that's the, the place that he was. That was one of the languages they would have used. So the book comes from what some scholars believe were his personal notes, his journal about what was happening at the time in his life when he was in captivity with the rest of the nation of Israel. So it's significant there that there's a different language used from a lot of the other book. Not, not even the entire book is written in Aramaic. It's only parts of the book. So that's significant. Sometimes you got to pay attention to those little details there. Does anybody have a guess or an idea of when this book might have been written? No. What's that? Anybody? What's that? 60 A.D.? No, not 160 A.D. 605 B.C., somewhere around the 6th century. So there's scholars who have placed it around 530 to 560 B.C. There's some who's given it even as late of a date as like 605 or some of those dates. So it's somewhere in the, because if you remember, B.C. counts down, right? We're counting up. There's 2022. It's going to be 2023 when some of y'all graduate. We're going up, but during this time, time was counting down. Do you remember how we split time? What's the event? Yeah, it's the birth of Christ. That, that's a man. That's what he's talking about over there. That's, that's what's going on here. So 6th century would have been in the 500s. Okay, it's kind of weird the way we do the math, but that's, that's when we believe this book was written, was somewhere around the 6th century. And does anybody have an idea of what kind of the central theme or the thing is that we continue to see throughout this entire book? Anybody, any guesses? Feel free to guess. Yes, there are wrong answers, but it's okay because I've never told you the answer, so you don't know if it's wrong or not. <laughs> yes. What's that? There is faith in this book. Absolutely. You do see that throughout this book. You're not even going to try? Go for it. Baden. What's that? There's a lot about obedience in here. Yes. Faithfulness. Yeah, it's in there too. Let me put it into one word, one phrase. The main theme you're going to see through this book over and over is the fact that God is sovereign. And if you don't know what that word means, that's a big fancy word that means God is faithful. And God is in control over everything. Even when our circumstances, even when our situations don't make sense, even when we think everything that's happening in our life, it, I don't understand it, I don't know why God would allow some of these things to happen. Throughout this book, you see time and time again, when all of that stuff is going on in the life of Daniel, in the life of his friends, you see that God is still in control. God still has a plan. God is sovereign. He was then and he is now. And that's why it's important for us to walk through a book like this because we can see it over and over in scripture. And we're going to see it as we start looking at this tonight, even in just the first two verses. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what I ask you to do every week in honor of the reading of God's word. 
I want you to stand with me and follow along as I read just the first two verses of Daniel. I promise you we will pick up speed next week and not take the next year to go through this book. So Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you again that we can come together tonight, God, that we can spend time in your word, God. And I just pray that, that as we look at who these people are and what's going on here, that, that we understand, God, what that means for us right here in, in 2020 at the beginning of a brand new school year. God, help us to see how we're supposed to live a life that honors you based on what we see in your word tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and have a seat. So Daniel jumps right into it here. There's not a whole lot of backstory. Right there from verse 1, you see you've got this guy who's Jehoiakim. He's king of Judah. Basically, he's ruler of the nation of Israel. And you've got this other guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who brings his people in and they take over the kingdom of Judah. Pretty basic, right? Now, do you think he had reason to come in and do what he's doing? This is yes, this is no. Okay, let me ask you this. How many of you have a sibling in your house? Okay. How many of you... Oh, no, put your hands down. Put your hands down. How many of you have either used this phrase to one of your parents or your sibling has used this phrase? They just hit me for no reason. Okay, so put your hands down. That's kind of what we just saw right here. You've got the kingdom of Judah, and with no warning, you've got the king. You've got Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. They just come in and they just hit Judah for no reason. But the problem with that, just like it's a problem in your house, is most of the time you got hit or you hit them because you actually had reason. What mom and dad don't know when your sibling hits you and you went in there and told on them that they hit you for no reason is the fact for the last half hour you've been doing everything you can think of to annoy the living snot out of them. And they finally get fed up and they haul off and they hit you. And it's like, they hit me for no reason. I don't know what's happening. That would be what we would be looking at here if we didn't dig a little bit deeper. Because most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when one nation attacks another nation, there's a reason behind it. They don't do it just to do it. And that's exactly what's happening here. There's a reason behind this attack that's happening here. And the way for us to understand what's happening is to understand who these two guys are. So let's start with King Nebuchadnezzar. What country is he or what, what location is he the king of? Babylon. Okay. Does anybody know where Babylon, modern day, where Babylon is located? Who said that? Yeah, Mr. Chad's giving away the answer. Iraq. Okay. Can you tell me how far away it is from modern day Baghdad? I stumped him. I had to look it up too because I didn't know it either. It's about, if you could look at Iraq on a map, Iraq, Iraq, however you want to say it. If you look at Iraq on a map, it's about 59 miles southwest of Baghdad. So if you ever look at a map of that country, that gives you an idea. That is where Babylon was. So it wasn't like right next door to Judah. But what you've got here is you've got, excuse me, you've got this people group, this king. They're basically conquering the known world at this time. 
when, when this happens, when they come in and they, they overthrow the Israelite nation, this, this whole Babylon community, they're taking over the world. They're conquering everything. So you've got this king who is effectively conquering the world with the people that he's leading, and he decides, I'm going to go in and I'm going to take over the kingdom of Israel. So that's player number one in what's happening here. The other guy is Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, we don't get very much information about him right here. It tells us in that first verse, it just says, In the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So all we find out about this guy is that he's been king for three years, and three years into being king, somebody comes in and takes everything over. But this is why you can't always just stick with one passage. You've got to look at context of what's going on in Scripture. Because we actually see Jehoiakim's name somewhere else in the Old Testament. There's two books in the Bible, 1 Kings and 2 Kings in the Old Testament. And what those books do is they chronicle, they give you the historical facts about the kings of the nation of Israel. And in that lineage, in, that, in that, uh, those books, you actually see the name of King Jehoiakim. It's in 2 Kings, verses, or excuse me, 2 Kings 23, verses 36 and 37. We get a little bit more information about this king. Verse 36 says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. So he's 25. By the time he's 28, he gets completely taken over. And it says, he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did not, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So this king of Israel, this guy that is leading the people who are supposed to be God's chosen people. And it tells us right there in that last verse, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So if you stop for a second and you figure out what's going on, you've got one kingdom, another kingdom comes in and takes them over. And the problem is, it's because the king of Judah, the king of God's chosen people, wasn't following God. He wasn't honoring God. And, and God allows this to happen. You need to understand here, this is, God's, this is God's leader of God's chosen people. This is the king of the nation of Israel. And he didn't follow God. That's important to pay attention to because there's a life lesson there for us, guys. Just because somebody is in a leadership role, it doesn't mean they're always a godly leader. Scripture tells us in the New Testament, it tells us that all authority is appointed by God, but not all authority is godly. And that's going to force every single one of us in this room at some point to probably make a choice. And it's a choice as we continue to walk through this book and we see Daniel and we see his friends, we have the choice. We're either going to honor God and obey him no matter what happens or we're going to choose to go along with the crowd and do what everybody else is doing just so we don't suffer the consequences. And that's exactly what we're going to see play out. I almost just fell when I went to step back there. I'm glad that didn't happen. That would have been a little embarrassing. But what we see here, guys, is we see a repeating of the pattern that has happened over and over and over again in the Old Testament. That's why it's called the cycle of the judges, that whole book of judges. It's before Israel demanded a king. God would raise up someone to be a judge, a leader for the nation of Israel. They would follow God for a while. They would decide, you know what? We're, pretty, we're doing pretty good without God, so we don't need him. They would turn away from God. They would start pursuing and worshiping other things. And all of a sudden, they're in trouble. 
And they say, God, we need your help. And God would raise up a judge and the judge would save his people that they would trust God for a little while. And then not long after that, they'd go after other things again. How often do we do that? Things hadn't really changed that much, have they? When we need God, we cry out to God, we go to God, we're there and we want to be in his presence. But when life is going pretty good, God's not always at the forefront of everything that's going on. But man, as soon as something goes off the tracks, God, I need you. It's human nature, it's our tendency. But in the Old Testament, as that played out, God said there was going to be consequences when that happened. Because you can't keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over without ever having any consequences. And we're seeing some of that play out right here. And here's what you need to understand. As I said a few minutes ago, God is sovereign. God is in control. There is nothing that is hidden from God. That's what scripture tells us. God is always faithful to keep the promises he makes. But what we have to understand is that God's going to be faithful whether those promises are for our good or whether those promises are for our discipline because of disobedience. God is always faithful in keeping his promises, which is an encouraging thing. Even when it doesn't feel good, it's something that we can rely on and it's something that we can trust. Look at what happens here in verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. God gave Jehoiakim and the nation of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but basically that's telling us God allowed this to happen. Now, Scripture tells us a lot of things about God. It tells us he's omniscient. You know what that word means? What's it mean? He knows everything. He sees everything. He's omnipotent. What's that mean? What's that? No, not everywhere. He's what? He's all powerful. There is nothing that God can't do. So that whole trick question of could God make a rock big enough that God couldn't lift it? Well, it's a it's a bad question, so it doesn't even work. God can do anything. And he's omnipresent. You know what that means? That means he's everywhere. If scripture tells us that God is all of these things, and yet scripture also tells us that he is a loving God and he's a caring God, why would God allow this to happen to his chosen people? By our standards, it, it doesn't make sense that God would allow his people to be captured, to put into slavery, have their lives turned upside down, and to have to have all of this done at the hands of somebody who didn't even follow God. But you see, pay attention. They were already under a king that didn't follow God. Now they've just traded those kings. It doesn't make sense unless you understand the context of what God is doing here. We've seen this. They've already been under an ungodly king. The man who said, I'm leading God's people was not following God and he wasn't leading the people of God to follow God. And the result is that God shows his faithfulness to keep his word. Some of y'all said faithfulness earlier. God shows it. God keeps his word. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they were being used by God to bring judgment on God's people. And we know that because all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God told Moses, if you're going to lead my people, here's the promises I'm going to make to you. 
Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He says, if you faithfully, verse one, obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. That's God talking to Moses. And God is saying, Moses, if you will follow me, if you will obey me, live in obedience and teach my people to live in obedience to me, then I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to set you above all of the other nations. And those promises, if you go back and read that chapter in Deuteronomy, all the way from verse 1 to 15 are the promises of what God's going to do for his people if they live in obedience to him. But then in verse 16, it takes a turn. And God starts to tell Moses, but if you choose to be disobedient, there will be consequences. And God continues to lay out what those things are and listen specifically in Deuteronomy 38, verses 36 and 37. Listen to this consequence. The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. So God said, Moses, if you follow me and teach my people to follow me, I'm going to take care of you. But if you're disobedient and you don't keep your end of the bargain, there's going to be consequences for it. God is showing his faithfulness here. He makes promises to his people's good and to his people's detriment. And God is faithful in keeping those promises because we see it play out right here in this book of Daniel. The people had disregarded God. They had disregarded his laws. They had disregarded the things that he had called them to do. And when they did that, they suffered the consequences of it. Nebuchadnezzar was being used by God. He was an instrument. He was a tool of God so that God could discipline the people that he loved. We don't like discipline, do we? When you get in trouble at home, some of y'all are too big for this now, but there was a time when maybe you got spankings in your house. Some of y'all are like, no, maybe you should have. That's a whole different story. But we don't like that because we don't like discipline. We don't like consequences in our lives. And yet God himself will discipline us. If we say that we love him, if we say we put our faith and trust in him, if we claim to be his disciple, and yet we live in the disobedience to what his word says, scripture tells us that he'll discipline us in our lives. And sometimes that discipline gets pretty uncomfortable, doesn't it? Just like it did in your house. You guys have heard me tell this story before. My dad would walk down the hallway with that belt, both loose ends in one hand and the loop in the other hand, just snapping it all the way down the hallway to my bedroom drove me nuts. I think he got a little pleasure out of that. But I also remember the first time my dad like really, really spanked me. I mean, like really spanked me with a bell. And I remember him saying this phrase. He said, this is going to hurt me more than this hurts you. And I'm sitting there and at least I was wise enough not to voice this thought, but I thought, no, it's not. But I also remember that when he was done giving me that spanking, I turned around and there were tears in his eyes. And you need to know that about God. 
a parent will discipline you because they love you. Most of the time. That's the way it should be. And if your parents love you as much as I know I love my kids, they're going to discipline you. God loves you way more than your parents love you. And if God loves you that much, God's going to discipline you when you're disobedient. That's what we see play out here with an entire nation. God's people said, we're not going to follow him anymore. We're going to follow the king. And the king is not following God, so we're not going to follow God. And God uses Nebuchadnezzar and uses his people to come in and discipline. We tend to think of the promises of God as the good things that God does in our lives. And those are great things because God has promised us incredible things. God promises he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That he'll be our God. He's promised to protect and to provide for us. Doesn't promise you to have a perfect life, but he does make those promises but what about when the promise of God is to discipline his children because he loves them? That's not the promises that we like. And yet those are the promises that we need play out in, to play out in our lives because it proves to us that God is always going to do what God says he's going to do. It proves God's faithfulness. It proves that even when things are happening that don't make sense in our lives, these guys, this whole nation, their entire world has been flipped upside down. Changed forever. It's going to be, it, I want to say it's something around 1,500 years before the nation of Israel will have a home again. This starts that process. It's changed their entire future and their entire culture. And yet, God is in control of the entire thing. And that's something that we can understand and something that, that we can know and trust God that even when things don't make sense, God is sovereign. God is in control. And there's two other things in the second verse I want us to pay attention to real quick before we wrap up. It says right here that there were vessels. It says there were vessels referenced in this verse. Let me get back to it and read it again. It says, it took, took uh, Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of God. Those vessels, those things that is talked about right there, those would have been items that were used during worship for the Israelites. When they were coming into God's presence, those are things that they would have used in that service. The only reason I point that out is because you need to understand that those are important things because they're going to come back into play here later in this book. You're going to see those vessels again here in a, uh, chapter 2. And then the last thing to pay attention to in that verse, it says that they were brought to a land of Shinar. Has anybody ever heard of the land of Shinar before? You have? What, where have you heard of it in reference to? What's the context? What's that? Okay. But you've heard it. Well, if, if you've been around church for a little while, there's a good chance you've heard at least one passage that mentions that verse before this one. Has anybody here ever heard of the Tower of Babel before? Okay. A couple more hands on that one. All right. The Tower of Babel. Let me give you a little background of what happened at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, well, let me just read it. Genesis 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, all of humanity. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Shinar was this place where the people settled, and when they settled there, they kind of got a little self-confident. 
And they came together and they said, hey, let's build this tower, this building that reaches from the ground all the way to heaven. And as they started doing this, what you see is you see people, humanity, very quickly say, you know what? We don't really need God anymore. Because if we put our minds to it, we can do anything. And they turn away from God and they start relying on themselves. And and God sees this and God says, hey, this, this is not the way this is supposed to be. So scripture tells us that God came down and confused their language. That's that whole word, babble. I mean, when someone's babbling, you can't understand what they're saying. All these people are now speaking different languages. They can't understand each other, and they scatter over the entire earth, which, by the way, that's what God told people to do at the beginning was to go around the entire earth. So God tried to continue to help them fulfill the plan that he had laid out for them. But all of that happens right here in this place called Shinar. That's why they're called the Babylonians. That's where that comes from. You've got this this same place where people said that they were going to be self-sufficient. They didn't need God. They were going to do what they could do without God. When God did this, they called this place Babel, and that's the Hebrew name for Babylon. Is it starting to make sense now? This is why you can't read passages of Scripture without looking at other passages, because they all tie together in some way. So remember... Nebuchadnezzar came in, hit Jehoiakim. He just hit me for no reason. No, there was a reason. Because Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of a people who said they didn't need God. And God's people had been disobedient. So God uses Nebuchadnezzar and his people as an instrument to come in and give discipline to his people because they were not living lives that were obedient to him. If you go back and you read more in 2 Kings, which I encourage you to do, what you're going to find is that about 150 years, there were kings over the nation of Israel. Some honored God, some did not honor God. And repeatedly, the people followed their leader and lived out the consequences of their choice. When the king honored God, the people honored God. And life was the way it was supposed to be. When the king didn't honor God, The people didn't honor God. And eventually, that had consequences. Guys, as we follow through this book, and it's going to take us a little while to walk through it, but as we do it, what we're going to see is, even in the next couple verses next week, is Daniel's got a couple buddies. And and he and his buddies, they are taken from their home, and they are thrust into this brand new culture and brand new system of beliefs. And they have a choice to make. They have to choose, are they going to live in obedience to God? in a world that is discouraging their obedience, or are they going to go along with the crowd? And that's a choice that every single one of us in this room has to make. I challenged you guys last week, tried to encourage you, as you're stepping into a brand new school year, you're stepping into the unknown, you have the opportunity to be the person that God has called you to be on that campus. And it may be sometimes that you've only got three friends to stand with you. It may be times when you have less to stand with you when you decide to live in obedience to God. But that's what you have to decide. Are you going to honor God no matter what? Let me, let me give you a hint here. Hey, when you stand in the crowd and go along with everybody else, you don't get a real good view of God. But when you live in obedience and you stand out from everybody else, you can see how big God is. And that's what Daniel and his buddies are going to show us over the next couple chapters. But that's the question for you tonight. Are you going to live in obedience? 
or are you going to live in disobedience? Most of you are walking onto a school campus tomorrow, and you know there are opportunities for you all day long to live in disobedience to who God has called you to be. Which one are you going to do? Are you going to stand out when it's hard? Are you going to stand out when it looks different, when it looks weird? Are you going to do what God's called you to do and live in, dis in, in obedience? Or are you going to live in disobedience knowing there's consequences for both? If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, God has called you to be obedient in your life. God has called you to be obedient in your life. And guys, there's no greater life than that. We talk about the blessings of God. Will God bless your life? Yes. It may not be with everything that you want or think you need. But God will bless you by creating in you a heart that pursues him, that follows him, that trusts him, no matter what situation is happening, that is willing to stand for him even when nobody else around you is willing to do that. So you get to make the choice. Are you going to live in obedience or disobedience? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. God, we thank you that we can see in your word that you are, God, that you are sovereign. God, that you are always in control. God, that you will always keep your word. And God, I pray that you help each one of us in here to live in obedience to your word. God, help us to live a life that honors you. God, you call us to be a people, to, to, to step out of our sin, to step out of the things that pull us away from you, God. And you call us to put our faith and our trust in you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's anybody in here tonight that's never done that, that's never taken that step, God, you'll give them the courage and the boldness to come talk to somebody tonight as soon as the first note of that next song is played. Get up out of your seat. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of these adults about what it looks like to live a life that's obedient to God. And if you're here tonight and maybe you haven't been obedient, you can start. It's never too late to start. And you just need somebody to pray for you. You just need somebody to stand there with you so that you're not doing it alone. You've got a room full of people. Write that down on that card. What is it that's holding you back? What is it that's keeping you from living in obedience to God's word in your life? And write it on that card. Drop it in this basket and take a moment and ask God to give you the strength. Do it anyway. And if you want to, there's adults in this room who would love to pray with you and for you right now. You guys face a challenge every single day. We don't do it alone. God, help us. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to remember that you're in control no matter what. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.